Matthew 3:13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. I'm Josiah. I'm our college minister here at ECC. As Bob mentioned, Connection meets on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock down in our chapel on the far side of the building. And since I'm preaching this morning, I'm off tonight, which is the best. Um, Chris, our band leader, Chris, you're the man, is not off tonight. I was like, Chris, man, I feel so bad having you lead in the morning and the evening. And he is the man. So he's leading again tonight. If you've never been to Connection down in our chapel, you need to check it out. It's been said before, it's all about that space. So come down and check out the new connection in the chapel. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time that we have together this morning. We pray that your word would speak to our hearts. I know that we have so many things going on, busyness, distractions, God. Uh, but we pray that this morning as we're together, we would encounter your word in a way that really uh, is profound. A way that we wouldn't have expected when we came in here. A way that would change us as we go throughout the week. And so we pray that your spirit would be among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to share a little bit of my own story of faith with you this morning. And to do that, there's something you need to understand about me. And that is that when I was a younger, uh, when I was in junior high or so, I was terribly afraid that I would somehow get coaxed into needing to express my emotions in a public setting. Um, I was deathly afraid that someone would want me to talk about uh, my faith in this passionate way that would really make me be forced to be vulnerable. I remember one time in junior high, I went away to church camp. I don't know if any of you went to this kind of camp, but the last night we all sat around a campfire. Someone played some really uh, minor chords on their guitar to get us in the mood, and a speaker made an emotional plea for us to light the fires of faith in our hearts or maybe throw a little more kerosene on there if we went to camp last year. And I remember just feeling so nervous someone was going to ask me to stand up or say something. There, were, there was not a dry eye around that circle except for my own. I can tell you, a bat could have flown into my eye and I would not have lifted my hand to touch it just to be sure that no one thought I was getting weepy. It wasn't going to happen. Guys, I don't know why I was so nervous about expressing my faith in a way that could be emotional. Maybe it's because I was raised Presbyterian. Any other Presbyterians out there? Um, they call us the frozen chosen. Maybe that has something to do with it. Whatever it is, public displays of religious passion, they were never my strong suit. So when I stepped into a swimming pool in front of my entire church after sharing a choked up testimony of faith about God's recent work in my life when I was 24 years old to be baptized, I couldn't help but feel a little bit of surprise. I certainly didn't see this moment coming. Following Christ had been a part of my life for as long as I remember. I mean, I sought to be a witness to my peers when I really owned my faith in high school. 
It really mattered to me. I pursued my faith when I went off to college. Uh, I eventually tricked a great young woman into marrying me, and she was a believer as well. Uh, She challenged me. She supported me and my faith, and we sought to serve God together in the choices that we made. And so I'd been a follower of God for a long time. It was the most important thing in my life. I would have said then, same as I would say it now. I can only imagine what my parents, my godly, wonderful parents, must have thought when I called them one Sunday afternoon uh, to tell them I was going to be rebaptized. They're wondering, like, man, is Josiah going through some sort of mid-young adult life crisis? Uh, did his wife and in-laws and their convictions about believers' baptism finally get to him? Uh, was my infant baptism not good enough? I mean, what was going on here? It wasn't any of those things. Something profound had happened in my heart, and I felt compelled to express it and solidify it. And being baptized again seemed like the perfect way for me to do it. The scripture passage we read this morning tells the story of Jesus' baptism. This is his first public ministry moment. And Jesus would have been around 30 years old at this time. We read that he traveled from Nazareth to the region of the Jordan River where John was administering his baptism of repentance. And so this would have been a journey of around 25 miles for Jesus to make. He had sought this moment out, but that really wasn't out of the ordinary for a Jewish man in Jesus' day. John the Baptist had really acquired a following. We read earlier in Matthew that many people went out to John from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins and receiving his baptism. So John was staying really busy in his work, but he was very clear about his ministry being more than an end in itself. He was just the opening act. His mission was to prepare the way for the Messiah. He said, I baptize with water for repentance, but after me comes one more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So imagine John that day when Jesus showed up. He's wading through the murky water, I kind of imagine. This murky brown water with his arms kind of tired, hanging at his sides from baptizing people all day. Maybe he's refueling on some locust and honey snacks. His skin's all pruney. He wouldn't have imagined Jesus showing up. He's shocked. He says, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? I mean, isn't it a little bit ironic that the one who would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit would come seeking his baptism of repentance? I mean, does that even make theological sense? Why would the sinless Son of God need to receive a baptism of repentance? And Jesus replied to John, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying, this may not make sense to you, John. But God has brought this moment. It's in the will of God for you to baptize me. What he's recognizing here is that baptism was also an expression of submission to God. Josh, Jesus had come to submit himself to the will of the one who sent him and being baptized by John. He was saying to the Father, I know the time has come. Do with me as you will. And so Jesus entered that water and identified with the broken men and women that he had been sent to save. And so he was baptized after he came out of the water following his baptism. We read that heaven opened up. The spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven spoke saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God affirmed 
his love for his son, and he placed the Holy Spirit upon him. This is my son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. So we can think of this as Jesus' ceremony of commissioning for ministry. That's what's going on here. It's absolutely rich with meaning. Look at it. His baptism is a perfect illustration of humility for us. The Son of God left heaven and entered the water and said, Not my will, but yours be done. It's a display of God's gracious disposition toward mankind. The Father and Son don't play good cop, bad cop with us. What we see in this passage is that it was God's desire to send Christ to seek and save the lost. And he would carry out that mission by the power of the Spirit. This is the Trinity in action here. So Jesus' baptism is full of significance. It's a powerful moment in the life of Christ. But what I want to say to you this morning is that I think this story has a whole lot more to do in our lives than just connect a few theological dots for us. I think that it would be a real mistake for us if we just walked away from this passage and said, wow, wasn't that a really nice moment for Jesus? That sure was nice for Jesus. I don't think either of those reactions are inappropriate, but there's so much more going on here. Back to that story of when I was baptized. That wasn't the result of a mountaintop experience in my life. The journey to be baptized was more a result of a long-term rumble of restlessness and discontent. Like I said, I'd been a believer for as long as I could remember. And my faith in Christ, it was the most important thing to me. I knew that I was forgiven by grace. I was sure of that. And I desired to honor God with my life. And pursuing him and serving him was my driving ambition. I followed that desire after college into ministry. I worked in a church as a junior and senior high pastor the year after I graduated college. And I really cared about my students a lot. I did the best I could to serve that church. Uh, We had a really good year, but you know, it didn't quite meet my expectations. We started out with 30 kids and we ended with 30 kids. No mass revivals. It wasn't like the entire uh, town was flocking into our youth center. That's also because it really stank, I like to think, but what can you do? It was a good year, but about halfway through, I need to be honest and admit that I was already looking forward to what was next. That job was fine. I knew what I was doing really mattered, but I felt like there was more out there. I should be making a bigger impact for God if I was doing what I was really supposed to be doing, shouldn't I? Things should be better. I was discontent with where I was at. I felt restless and I decided that a change was in order. Now, I'd always had an interest in working with athletes. I was an athlete myself in high school and college, and so I followed that passion to be a college track and field coach. I knew I could serve God as an ambassador for Christ in pretty much any work setting, and so my wife and I moved to Tennessee and I coached college track and field. Man, it's really fun to get paid a salary to yell at skinny kids running around in circles wearing short shorts. It was a great time. I had some cool opportunities. I learned a lot. I grew. I was challenged in my work, but I need to be honest and admit that once again, after just a few months, that rumble of restlessness came creeping back in. I mean, things were fine. They really were. I just had this feeling when I looked at my life in general that they weren't what they could be. Things could be better. My work could be better. My growth as a Christian could be better. I knew I could be a better husband. I knew that God had forgiven me, but I felt like he expected more of me because I was well aware that I could be better. And so I may be a little bit 
more of a go-getter than is healthy sometimes. And in that type A personality, I decided that the thing that was lacking was that I needed to set up some habits for myself. I needed to set up some habits to better discipline myself to become a better husband, to become a better worker, to become a better Christian. And so sometimes those, those habits stuck. They worked. Uh, 99% of the time, they didn't. I thought about making another career change. Maybe that would be it. If I could just find my niche and know that I was doing what God really wired me to do, then I would be content. That's what I was missing. I remember one of the greatest acts of God's grace in my life was when my pastor made an effort to get, my, get to know my wife and I. He invited us out to Panera Bread to get coffee. We met there a few times before work, and he was a really fun guy to hang out with, but after hanging out with him just a few times, I realized he was absolutely terrible about keeping the conversation surface level, uh, which is one of my strong suits. He would ask us questions about life and our journey of faith, in a way that made me start looking for booths instead of tables. I knew this guy couldn't help but get real. I remember one time we were hanging out and he just wouldn't stop poking at me with spiritual questions. The thoughts and feelings that I was really wrestling with eventually made their way to the surface. And he then asked me a question that seemed super basic when I first heard it. Do you think there's anything you could do that could ever make God love you any more than he already does? It sounded so basic when I first heard it. I was like, no, and then I spouted off a handful of different things. No, but God wants us to honor him in the way we live. No, but God gives us gifts. He gives us opportunities, and it's important that we make the most of them. He asked me again, do you think there's anything you could do that could ever make God love you any more than he already does? That question was so basic when I first heard it that I almost felt slighted by the fact that he would ask it but it absolutely transformed my faith when I let it get to my heart. It transformed my faith when I let it get to my heart. We're in a series right now on the one and only only Son, Jesus Christ. And we heard in the first week of this series, in the words of the disciple John, that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That reality is the key to understanding the full significance of Jesus' baptism. And it's the truth that is powerful to transform the way we walk through every single day of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he's writing to this church, wrestling to wrap their minds around the bigness of their salvation. And he says to them, in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. He goes on, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. He's saying that if you believe in Jesus, you are part of a new family. Through Christ, God has adopted you as his own child. That's his promise to anyone who looks to him in faith. Every believer is a child of God. We receive a new identity and an eternal inheritance in him, all because of grace. That's the truth that came to 
absolutely transformed the way I live my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. After a few months of pondering that question from my pastor, do you think there's anything you could ever do to make God love you any more than he already does? After having a few more conversations about that with my pastor, with my wife, I came to see that I'd been focusing my faith, the most important thing in my life, on my performance for God. I knew I was forgiven by grace, but I was living like my relationship with God depended on what I was bringing to the table. My righteousness, my growth, my consistency. And I always knew I could do better. I wore myself out with my own performance. When I came to see that from the moment I first believed in Jesus Christ through to forever, I have been perfectly loved unconditionally loved, completely loved by God, not just our Father, God, my Father, all because of grace, I experienced freedom, contentment, and joy in the place of that restlessness that once haunted me. When that truth got to my heart, this guy who's so afraid of expressing his emotions in public couldn't wait to be baptized and tell everybody about what God had done in my life. My status as God's perfectly loved child was never something I could have gained through works and it was never going to be up to me to maintain it by my own merit. It was always because of grace. God adopts us into his family and he loves us completely as his own children from the moment we believe in the one he sent on. When he looks at me, he never says, Josiah could be better. He says, you are my child whom I love, and you I am well pleased. Nothing could make God love you any more than he already does if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. Not your best day ever. Nothing could make God love you any less than he already does. Not your worst day ever. Knowing that reality to be true absolutely transformed the way I walk through life. The confidence of knowing that God the Father's perfect love for me is unchanging. I can tell you, there's no way I would be before you this morning preaching this message. I would be on my seventh job change in a new city still wrestling with discontent if I hadn't come to understanding the transforming power of God the Father all because of grace. Listen to this quote from J.I. Packer in Knowing God. I think it summarizes really well where I was at before I had that new encounter with God's grace. He writes this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For a very long while, I don't think I understood Christianity very well. In fact, I think I often don't understand Christianity very well at all, sometimes even now. I needed to learn, and I continually need to remember who I really am, a favored and perfectly loved child of God, not because I've merited it, but because of grace, and I've rested in Christ I found my rest in him. I've laid down my efforts. I've lived in Bloomington for five years now, and it is by far the favorite place I've ever lived for both my wife and I. We love it here. People come to Bloomington from all over the world to learn, to grow, to improve, and really worthwhile and meaningful pursuits. 
when you think about this town, the level of knowledge, the level of skill and talent here, it's world class. Everyone who comes here raises their game, whether you're from California or from China, or if you've been a cutter here in Bloomington since before it was cool, you know this town has a way of making you better. This town's all about progress, and I love that. It's about expanding knowledge, fostering talent, achieving higher levels of performance. That energizes me in so many ways. It really does. But let's never forget, the greatest status in life can never be attained through hard work or talent new opportunities or new techniques because nothing in this world is more valuable than knowing that the creator of this universe is full of grace and full of love for you from the moment you trust in his son, Jesus Christ, through to forever. There's nothing in the world more valuable than knowing the love of God the Father for you. If you've never before experienced that, will today be the day that you trust Jesus Christ? God the Father sent him here that you might come home to be a part of his family. Will you trust in Jesus Christ? Experience the love of God the Father. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard this message a hundred times in your day. I want to say this to you. If you've trusted Christ for forgiveness, but you haven't been living with the confidence of knowing that God, your Father, loves you perfectly and completely, let today be that day that you step off the hamster wheel of performance. Stop trying to gain the favor that you've already received in full. Rest in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Find your rest in him. Knowing the unconditional love of God our Father changes the way that we walk through life. We are favored by him. Nothing can ever change that. What a sense of freedom that gives us. We can't lose. God's power is behind us. The Holy Spirit is our inheritance with us. We don't need to fear. And we can know that God hears our prayers. Our Heavenly Father is eager to provide for all of our needs. This reality, it transforms our faith in so many ways. It changes the way we think about our pursuit of holiness, our growth in godliness, the way that we embrace mission as followers of Jesus Christ. The gospel changes everything. I want to conclude with a final thought from J.I. Packer. Listen to this. The ultimate question is, do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity? My own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Say it over and over to yourself first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is utterly and completely true. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this morning's passage. God, this is a beautiful passage about your commissioning of Christ for his mission, but we know that these words don't end with us saying, wow, how nice for Jesus. It does a whole lot more than connect dots in our mind. God, as we come here before you, you're the only one who fully knows our hearts. Only you know the things that we wrestle with. God, some of us in here this morning have been searching for hope, have been searching for meaning, have been searching for 
salvation, God. And we know that that's only found in you. We pray this morning that you would do a work in their hearts, that you would speak words of grace, words of truth to them. God, I know so many people in here are where I find myself, where I found myself before I had that desire to be baptized, where I was just caught up exhausting myself in my own performance, God. That drive to be better. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we're not only forgiven, we're fully loved. God, when you look at us, you never say, he could be better. You see your perfect son, Jesus Christ, in whom we are clothed in righteousness. You look at us and you say, you're my child. With you I am well pleased. God, we pray that your spirit would speak that truth to our hearts, that we would know it with every fiber of our being, that we would find a contentment in you, God, and that we wouldn't be complacent, but that that thankfulness we have in Christ would spur us on to lives of love and good deeds in Jesus' name. Amen.